Hey everyone, Arson here, or Carlos, or whatever you know me as. I don't think I've actually said that in any part of this series so far, but I'm saying it now because this is the last chance I'm going to have to say it all of this year. Because this is it. This is the end. This is the final episode, not just of the series, but of the entire year. So when this is done, I'm gone for a couple weeks. I will be back January 5th, at the very latest. Um, so... What's going to happen right now is instead of playing the usual intro song, Moray by Lost Trees, I am going to play a compilation of my record of the year picks for the last 10 years. So ever since 2011, uh, each clip will last 10 seconds, 10 records in total. So enjoy the next minute and 40 seconds of artisan history. Thanks. I realized I maybe should just go ahead and mention what all those records were. So, uh, 2011 was The End of the World Party by Icy Stars. 2012 was Priorities by Don Broco. 2013 was Sempaternal by Bring Me the Horizon. 2014 was Restoring Force by Of Mice and Men. 2015 was That's the Spirit by Bring Me the Horizon. 2016 was Renaissance by Polyphia. 2017 was Skin and Earth by Lights. 2018 was Welcome to the Neighborhood by Boston Manor. 2019 was Amo by Bring Me the Horizon. 2020 was I Disagree More by Poppy. And 2021 was, I'm gonna say it in like fucking maybe two hours. I don't know how long I'm gonna be here. So, uh, if it takes two hours like it did with the songs, I apologize. But at the same time, understand that this is therapy for me. This is what I need to be doing. And I get enjoyment out of being able to share this passion for seed music that I have with all of you. Um, so, you know, a, a lot has gone into the last two weeks. The songs list and then now the records list. Uh, it's been a lot. It's a lot of fucking work. Let me say that now. Um, maybe you all assume it's a lot of work, but I'm assuring that to you. It is a lot of fucking work. It's very, very tiring, very taxing. Not just like mentally, but like physically with my voice because, uh, you know, I, I never talk outside of this. Like, I don't really socialize. I don't interact with people. I really should, but I don't. So this is like as much of a workout as my vocal cords are receiving, and I am definitely, definitely feeling it by this point.
but we got this far, so let's finish it. Um, I don't, I didn't cry during the songs finale, but maybe I will with this one because this is the actual end for the year, my first year ever doing this stuff. Um, so yeah, uh, I, I hope you give me your time and attention to be able to explain why all these records are here. So here we go. Top 10 records of 2021. And like with the songs uh, finale, the clips here will be 30 seconds instead of 20 like they had been before. And I'm going to build up the entries instead of just like saying the the record name and the band name like I had before. So number 10 is going to come from a woman who I really, really feel had a banner year for her music career, and the way that she was able to break out was something that I I think everybody should have taken notice of. Not everybody did, and I know that you know for a fact. Um, maybe it's because of the scene that she comes from and how pop punk kind of gets like a sort of a bad rep nowadays when it comes to that revival stuff. But you know, it is what it is, I suppose. Um, this was one of those records that you know. For an early into the year record, it stuck with me. It really, really did. I went back to it every single week. Um, it, it just never left me. It felt like I wasn't allowed to let it leave. And I didn't want it to because I really, really enjoy it. Number 10 is Paranoia by Maggie Lindemann. So because I don't really know just how many people in the scene are paying attention to Maggie or have heard what she's done this year, every single instance that I've been able to bring her name up on this show throughout this year, I have. And maybe it got annoying after a while of just hearing me bring up Maggie's name, but I'm doing it for a reason. Because I really, really, really think that this is the kind of artist who people should be aware of. Because what she has done this year... I, I wouldn't say it was unexpected to like a full extent, but to at least some extent, I couldn't help but just be taken aback by what I heard off of Paranoia. So Paranoia got released uh, at the start of the year. It was like maybe the third week of January, I want to say. And I remember just like seeing it and thinking like, okay, I know who she is. Heard of her before. I had heard uh, Knife Under My Pillow, like not, I don't think I heard it in 2020. It might have been like in the first few days of 2021. Um, but listening to that song was how I became aware of Paranoia and the release date of it. Uh, I don't remember the exact day, but it was like maybe second to last Friday of January. Um, it had to have been around that range because Different was number one in Scenic Overlook that weekend. Uh, I don't want to jump ahead and get right into Different. Or maybe I actually do. Let's do it. So Different, I mentioned in the Top 100 Song Series, that song kind of details... Maggie's experience with being uh, arrested in a foreign jail and or being sent to a foreign jail and the kind of experience that that had and the mental toll that it took on her and the fact that to this day different is still a song that carries like this level of trauma towards her uh someone had asked her I think it was on Twitter or Instagram uh 
Like, does she feel any like strange feelings or emotions when playing different? And she was like, yeah, it's my least favorite song to perform live for that reason. Um, so songs like Knife Under My Pillow, Crash and Burn, Loner, I would say that like with those, you get that kind of straightforward alternative pop sound or alternative like pop rock sound with pop punk inspirations thrown into there. Uh, Crash and Burn has one of the best choruses of the entire year. Just the catchy nature of it, the infectious, just like hooks and everything about it, the instrumentation. Crash and Burn is the kind of song that I would have loved whether I was 6 or 26. It genuinely does not matter. Like that song kind of transcends, uh, like trends or, um, specific time eras that pertain to like my, uh, music interests and the evolution of all that. Um, Gaslight is, uh, a fucking crazy ass song. So Gaslight features Sick Brain who comes in immediately and it's just like screaming her fucking head off. And that adds a layer to Gaslight that you can't find with anything else on Paranoia. And the way that Maggie sounds throughout Gaslight, it's like kind of like muted and like as if she's kind of like bored, but it's that element that again, like just really, really makes it stand out. Scissor hands, the like kind of like drum and bass inspiration going on throughout it uh how the verses are like so soft and scaled back and they build perfectly to the chorus and the thing about the build is like not once does maggie ever raise her voice she kind of maintains it at this bass level yet you still can sense that like something big is coming once that drop for the chorus comes um the love songs is just like the really really uh great like ballad-esque type of track just like so heartfelt and beautiful um it's a great break from the amount of variety that you have on the record and then the closing track it's not your fault it's one of like the most just like um i guess like genuine and just uh moving songs i heard all year maggie had said previously that it's not your fault was written about like that initial quarantine phase in the pandemic where everybody's kind of like on a like a repetition cycle and there's not really much you can do and she wanted to like hammer in the fact that if you're like stuck in place in the pandemic, it's not your fault. You didn't do anything wrong. It's just the circumstances of the world. But I think that kind of a message, like it can extend beyond just the pandemic. Like there are a lot of situations where, you know, you get dealt a shitty hand and it's not your fault. Like you generally, you didn't do anything to deserve whatever unfortunate uh, duties were bestowed upon you. Um, it's not your fault. I'm better on my own. I'm not the girl you knew. Not trying to break your heart. Sometimes good things fall apart. Yeah, you don't feel like home, like something I've outgrown. Think I'm better on my own. Maybe I'm better off alone. And so for as like, you know, comforting as a song like that is, it's also like kind of heart-wrenching. And I think that is one of the themes and ideas that like really, really encompasses paranoia. And I think for me personally, looking at a record like this, to be able to carry it from January all the way through my year and have it like be there for me in all the moments that shaped me, whether that be, you know, Mikasa's passing or my initial like, uh, struggles with therapy, uh, just different things that happened to me throughout the year. Like paranoia was always right there. It was the constant in my life. No matter what I was feeling, I could turn on different and just like resonate with Maggie in that sense. I could turn on crash and burn. And again, like just have that connection to this artist and this piece of work. Um, it, it re- really, really meant a lot to me to be able to have something like Paranoia just like kind of help me through all this. Um, if you want to look beyond Paranoia, I think Maggie herself is just a goddamn fucking star. She has that it factor. She's talented. She's beautiful. She's charismatic. Like if you listen to any of her interviews, she's like very energetic and just like, uh, 
it has like this colorful personality that just like really really resonates through the screen and in the case of paranoia sonically resonates through the speakers and the headphones paranoia is one of the most perfect eps i've ever listened to in my life i enjoy every single second i've ever been able to spend with it i'm going to continue to spend time with it all the way through 2022 even when maggie has a new record out with the lead single she knows it go listen to that too that wasn't part of paranoia but i'm gonna go ahead and plug she knows it as well because that's one of the most important songs of the year for me um yeah that's kind of all i really want to say about that uh paranoia by maggie lineman one of the best eps of all time Number nine is this band's return to form, in my opinion. Uh, so they have a record of the year already for me. And then I kind of, I don't want to say I fell off after that, but just certain things were happening with the sound of this band that I wasn't totally in alignment with. And then they fixed those quote unquote issues this year. But at the same time, I think there's a discussion to be had about like, the album rollout and how that was actually done and i don't know if it was good or bad so this is my chance to like really really explain my perspective and figure that out number nine is echo by of mice and men Technically, and I want to like really, really emphasize that technically, this is the most recent album on this list. It dropped December 3rd. So two weeks ago today was when Echo released. Um, but at the same time, that's not entirely true. So Echo is comprised of two EPs and then four new songs. The first EP was Timeless that released back in February. The second EP, Bloom, came out in May. And then there were four songs that were not on either of those EPs. But the thing is, all but one of those four songs got singles treatment. So literally, when December 3rd came around, of the 10 songs on Echo, only one was brand new. And I don't really know if uh, giving Echo a more traditional rollout would have made the experience better or worse. I don't know if it would be higher on the list, lower on the list, if it would be number nine regardless. It's just like kind of hard to figure out because um, while maybe like having the record out at once would have been better in some ways, uh, I'm going to reiterate something that I said with Maggie Lindemann's Paranoia and how like I was so thankful to have that record with me all throughout the year. The lead single for Echo was par- uh, Obsolete. I almost said Paranoia again. Obsolete, which came out the second week of January, I think it was, maybe the third. And... I just could not put that song down all year. And that's apparently what Spotify tells me too, because it was number one in my rap for the year. Um, and I, I believe that. I really, really do think that I listened to Obsolete more than any other song this year, because Obsolete is one of the greatest of my cement songs ever made. At the very, very least, it's my favorite of my cement song since probably Broken Generation, which is almost seven years old. Jesus, fuck, almost seven years old. Holy shit. And that isn't to say that I don't like anything from A Mice and Men between uh, Restoring Force Full Circle and Echo, because I actually do like Cold World. I like most of Defy. Earth and Sky, it's okay. But 
I've never been able to have the kind the kind of connection with the Mice and Men's more recent material that I did with songs off of the Flood and Restoring Force. Those two records mean the world to me. Restoring Force was the 2014 record of the year for myself, and I just feel like again this was kind of a return to form. It's different from Restoring Force because Austin is not in the band anymore. He hasn't been for well, half a decade now. Holy shit. Um, Aaron Polly is the main vocalist of, of Mice and Men, and he has just risen to the occasion more times than not, and with every single track on Echo, Aaron shows why he is one of the best frontmen in all of music right now, So, and, and it's not just on Obsolete, which I said is my favorite song on the record, one of my favorite songs of the year, uh, title track, Timeless, uh, the title track in reference to the EP, Timeless, but like, the song Timeless, that one has just like so much life all throughout it and then even when the chorus comes in and it's noticeably slower than the rest of the uh the the track it still really really hits and delivers you get like so much enjoyment if you're coming to a my cement for that metalcore sound so a song like bloom which you know similarly to timeless it's so heavy throughout the verses and then when you get to the chorus it's not necessarily less heavy but just the way that aaron's vocals his cleans for that matter just like really really kind of carry the track and his vocal delivery on the chorus of bloom it sounds like kind of tired and worn out but at the same time it just fits so perfectly with everything happening around him i'm gonna reiterate those points with fighting gravity because that's another song that like takes that kind of concept and just really really shows like how it's performed at a masterful level i'm also going to read off the chorus fighting gravity because it's one of my favorite lyrical moments on echo if everything is where it's supposed to be, then why space just feels so incomplete? If everything is made to fall into peace, why am I always fighting gravity? So that struggle, that fighting gravity details, like it really, really spoke to me and meant a lot to me. Uh, I think the artwork for Echo, which is really, really fucking sick. It has like this, like a, like a stencil drawing opening his chest, like to reveal his heart. And then there's like a, like a smaller, more clear version of himself. It's just like really, really strange. But at the same time, that kind of details to me, like what's happening with that fighting gravity course. Like the idea of like, why am I always fighting gravity? Why am I always kind of like pulling at these things that I know I can't pull? I know I'm not going to win these battles. So why am I even like really, really going through this effort? Um, Anchor, I mentioned in the Top 100 Song Series, Anchor is one of the most emotional tracks of the year. I legitimately, like, kind of teared up the first time I heard it back in February. It is just, like, so heartfelt and emotion-driven and just, like, really, really tugs at my heartstrings. I love Anchor so much. Um, a song like Mosaic reminds me so much of what this band was doing back on The Flood. It really, really reminds me of The Depths, which is a song off of the Flood Deluxe Edition, just like the way that the instrumentation sounds and it's laid out, it just like has that kind of Flood energy to it, or I guess the depths more specifically, like I said. The the one song that was brand new when Echo came out as a full record is the closer, Helplessly Hoping. And Helplessly Hoping, it's just like so slow and like almost like symphonic feeling. It really, really reminds me of when Abyss Men were like consistently closing out records with slower songs so like um when you can't sleep at night space enough to grow if we were ghosts like i enjoy when a mice and men go that route so much uh the, the lyrics to hopelessly hopelessly hoping are also just like some of the best moments of the year for any band wordlessly watching he waits by the window and wonders at the empty place inside heartlessly helping himself to her bad dreams he worries 
Did he hear a goodbye or even hello? They are one person, they are two alone, they are three together, they are for each other. And that war playing the chorus, just like, god man, that's so fucking sick. Um, so like I said, the rollout for Echo, I don't know if I'll ever have like a real concrete opinion on if I thought it was good or bad. Um, because either way, I get it, like, you know, release something all throughout the year to appease fans. I remember Too Close to Touch did this back in 2019 when there were three installments of I'm Hard to Love, the Sort. I'm hard to love, but so are you. And that didn't lead to a record. It was literally just a bunch of EPs. Really, really good EPs, but it didn't culminate in anything it didn't feel like. Um, I'm at least glad that with Of Mice and Men, everything that they did throughout the year, it had like that culmination. There was an endgame too. All the singles and the EPs and, you know, Echo, it, it, it is what it is. And I can't complain when I'm having it at number nine. I think it is one of the strongest releases of not only of my cement discography, but the entire catalog of 2021, whether that be from metalcore or just scene music at large of my cement, just like, you know, with this new backing by sharp tone records, just came forward and once again proclaimed themselves the kings of metalcore. Number eight is a record that I, I don't want to say I had like some doubts about it. But I don't really think that in the lead up to it, I was in alignment with everybody else, seemingly everybody else, in terms of the hype and the anticipation for what was to come from this band. And not because like I thought they were unproven, they definitely were. But when you have so many people just saying like, oh, this is going to be the greatest thing ever, it's going to be the greatest thing ever. Me personally, I look at it and I'm like, if I don't feel it's the greatest thing ever, then, you know, I'm kind of let down. Um, but in a weird way, I don't think it's the greatest thing ever, but I wasn't let down by it. If anything, I liked this record a fucking hell of a lot more than I thought I would. And the end result of that is going to be me talking about it right now. Number eight is The Greatest Mistake of My Life by Holding Absence. So let me kind of have a second to just like really set the stage for Holding Absence and my relationship with this band over the years because when they dropped their self-titled debut album back in 2019, there were so many moments on that record that like really, really stood out to me. And then there were honestly some cases where it didn't. And towards the end of 2019, when people were just like really, really hammering in how much they liked that record and like you know naming it one of their favorites of the year i kind of thought like yeah it's good but i don't really see it as being this like generational or defining piece of music it's good but i don't think it's perfect i don't think it's you know of the caliber that so many others are are naming it but there are songs on there like your love is ruined my life and last of the evening light that I still go back to and they really really mean the world to me but if I'm just keeping it a stack with all of you it really really wasn't until 2020 when I started to like really really come around on holding absence and understand why they are being given the praise and acclaim that they are and that was through uh two singles that were not on 
uh, the greatest mistake of my life, those being Birdcage and uh, Gravity. Really fucking amazing songs. They showed off so much of what makes up Holding Absence and why they're so good. And then towards October, like towards the end of the year, we got Beyond Belief as the lead single for The Greatest Mistake of My Life. Beyond Belief went into, I don't want to say a totally different direction for Holding Absence, but just like, it was more than the music video's color-filled nature that, uh, to me, exclaimed that this was a new era for the band. Beyond Belief was like kind of slower than what they had done before. Or not slower, but maybe just like not as like uh, heavy or um, emphatic. Yet, they kind of replaced those elements with this heartfelt nature, and this was just like really, really catchy instrumentation that spoke to me more than anything off of that self-titled release. So then coming into 2021, Afterlife was released pretty quickly into the year. Afterlife is one of the most important and heartfelt songs I have been able to hear and enjoy all of 2021. And then, here here comes the part where I'm going to be completely honest and open and transparent with all of you. So, after Afterlife... That's a weird thing to say after Afterlife. Uh, there were two more singles. In Circles and No More Roses. I almost forgot the name of that for, for some reason. Um, okay, so with In Circles, that one like really, really scales things back in comparison to the majority of The Greatest Music of My Life. And initially, I wasn't totally sold on it. I thought it was good and it sounded really solid. But just in comparison to Afterlife and Beyond Belief, I didn't really think In Circles held up in that manner. To some extent, maybe something similar happened with No More Roses. No More Roses is, I, I think it was the heaviest single, and it's just like kind of this emotional journey, a roller coaster. And there was just something about it initially that I felt a certain disconnect from it. Um,. And then it wasn't until I listened to both those songs in Circles and No More Roses as part of the full album experience that they suddenly made all of the sense in the world to me. I understood what they served, their placements on the record. They, they come into session one another between Drugs and Love and Beyond Belief. And I understood from that point, once I had the full record, what these singles were meant to do for me. And the other thing that I do want to be just like really, really blunt with all of you about is... The fact that while I'm able to enjoy The Greatest Mistake of My Life to the highest extent possible for a record, there still is a slight detachment between myself and uh, the album, and that has nothing to do with the songs itself. Like, sonically, lyrically, everything here fucking hits and delivers in ways that I wasn't expecting, but just, um... Okay, so I think maybe my uh biggest like, uh, detachment comes from Celebration Song. Celebration Song is one of the best songs of the entire year. I love everything about it. It is just fucking phenomenal and beautiful. But the thing about my personal attachment to this song, or the lack thereof, is that I, as of right now, at this stage in my life, I don't necessarily have a reason to Okay, that sounds really, really, like, dark and bad. Basically, I don't really celebrate life. I don't celebrate being alive. I don't listen to, or I, I don't just, like, you know, listen to Celebration Song and feel every lyric, feel everything that's being said to me through Lucas Woodland's voice. Um, 
the the intro to the song where he says i'm alive and you just hear like this vibrant backing track it's one of the coolest moments of the year sonically and i love everything about it but again i don't have that like sense of celebration in me over the fact that i'm alive um some of the lyrics here like i listen to them and i'm like i just really 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 wish i could identify with them more to the existential dread i let run through my head the truth is that you hurt me for so long and here's my celebration song i know that years from now when i my final flame runs out i'll be a grain of sand running through a stranger's hand but right now i'm alive i'm alive i'm alive i live to see today i lost so much along the way and that's fine because i'm alive yeah i've lost so much along the way and the cynicism the cynical route that i take and the nihilistic stuff that i kind of feel 24 7 it just doesn't let me connect to celebration song the way that i would like to and that sucks because it's a phenomenal song but i guess at the same time like you know there is a life goal of mine connect with celebration song in the way that i would like to um the song after that curse me with your kiss has one of the just fucking most beautiful and just like cathartic courses i've ever listened to in my life not just reserved for this year but just entirety i dream of you in colors that don't exist looking back on my life all i know is this i let you curse me with your kiss god the the fucking emotions that that like pours into me the like the serotonin release but also the serotonin intake with curse me with your kiss i just like god i cannot get enough of it it is so fucking sick dude and like the band literally said themselves on Twitter that Curse Me With Your Kiss is a song about like the one that got away, the one that, you know, y- you can't just like get over, you can't forget. And looking back on that one line, I dream of you in colors that don't exist. Man, dude, Lucas, all of you in holding absence, thank you, but also fuck you, seriously. Um, I, I talked about drugs and love in the top 100 song series in case anybody didn't hear that, but they want to hear it like it be explained now drugs and love was the song that was like in my head. Uh, the moment that my cat Mikasa passed away, I don't know really why that was, but at the same time, like maybe it was like a foreshadowing of the kind of like medication steps per se that I would have to take from that point on to like really, really try and move forward with my life and not let one of the most traumatic things that's ever happened to me consume me and define me um beyond belief like i said one of the best songs of 2020 i cannot get over like just what that means to me still to this day die alone in your lover's arms so this song it actually uh has like dueling vocals um so it's between lucas woodland the actual vocalist of holding absence and then caitlin woodland who is his sister and I don't know for certain that she has like a musical background. I would have to actually like check that on my own, but she sounds fucking phenomenal on this song. The beauty that resonates from her voice, like just cuts me in in ways that like, you know, again, it's like a cathartic release and it just feels so apropos to the kind of year that I've had. Bury me in broad daylight. I've already died inside a thousand times. Waving you goodbye tonight. Waving you goodbye. Let it be the final time. You place your hand in mine. Waving you goodbye tonight. Waving you goodbye. Watching you die alone in your lover's arms. Just like, you know, the the, the thing the things that go into that kind of a track and just like the the sense of like remorse over that, but then also just like 
I don't know. It's like I look at that song and I listen to it and I'm still learning things about it. And in turn, I am still learning things about myself through the perspective of the greatest mistake of my life and just like what this kind of record has been able to do for me, what it means to me. Um, it, it just like, so what I said earlier about holding absence coming into this year, not really knowing like how I was going to feel about the record because with the self-titled, I liked it, but I didn't maybe necessarily love it, especially not in the way that so many others seem to. Um, so there was like that sense of cynicism on my end for this record when in reality, I never had a single thing to worry about. Like this was always going to be the end result. Me sitting here right now on this day in December telling all of you about the greatest mistake of my life and like what it's been able to do to me and what how how much it's meant to me. Uh, the closing song, The Greatest Mistake of My Life, the title track, it's actually a cover from Gracie Fields. Uh, and the way that the song like pays, pays homage to that original track, it, it feels like so just apropos and like there was no other way that you could have closed this record out. The, like the grainy kind of like film sound to the track itself, you know, that is like that's a callback to the actual song, but at the same time, it just feels like that is the exact way that Holding Absence were meant to execute the track. The greatest mistake of my life was saying goodbye to you. I'm alone and blue and believe it's true. I hope you may forgive someday. I'm sorry, I want you to know. But if there's a debt I owe, know I've paid and know that I have made the greatest mistake of my life. And again, this is going to be the kind of record that I I learned from through the rest of my life. I learned through for the rest of my life. I, I, I feel like I've, I have been told so much about myself by holding absence that I didn't even know about, or maybe they're just like things that I was suppressing, but either way, holding absence delivered one of the best albums I've ever had the pleasure of experiencing and enjoying. And at the same time, like that enjoyment sometimes comes from a painful spot with this record. And it's the kind of experience that like feels once in a lifetime, feels generational and I just legitimately cannot thank them enough for what they did for all of music this year, but then selfishly for me. Number seven, I mentioned her already in this series. She's the only person who appears twice in the top 50 records. And for me, it's for good reason. Number seven is Eat NXT Soundtrack by Poppy. So I said this before, but I'll say it again. When it says NXT soundtrack in the title, that is in reference to a WWE show that Poppy has been on in the past. She actually like technically, if you want to say this, like dropped the record on their show. I think Triple H asked her like, uh, oh, when does the album come out? And Poppy was like, oh, right now. And she like took out her phone and like pressed a button when in reality, it's not exactly that uh, simple, but you know, just go along with it. Uh, so this came out the week that I got Levi and Armin. They were my uh, the two kittens I have right now. They're almost adult cats, but they're kittens at heart to me still. Um, 
So my mind was not really in the right space to be enjoying music, especially an artist who I have all the respect for in the world like Poppy. So I wanted to like be in as good of a headspace as I possibly could while listening to Eat, but at the same time, understanding like the circumstances surrounding my life at that point didn't really enable there to be a right opening or a right time. I kind of just had to do it. So I just sat down in the dark. Uh, I think it was Wednesday night going to Thursday morning that week and just like, fuck it. I'll listen to Eat. It's very, very short. Five songs. You know, let, let me go ahead and see this. So. Uh, one of the songs, the title track Eat, had already been, uh, premiered at a Grammy event back in March, so three months prior to the EP's release. Uh, but Eat had never been uploaded to Spotify, so anytime I wanted to hear it, I had to actually go to YouTube and watch the performance from that event. It, great performance, I, I love it. Um, but, you know, I would rather just have it, like, be conveniently available on Spotify. Um, and so once I, like, had that luxury, I went back to eat the title track just over and over and over again. One of my most listened to songs of the entire year. It's one of my most listened to songs by Poppy, which says something considering like my all time rankings for Spotify. Like, you know, there's concrete, there's play destroy, there's X. Uh, I think the Holy Mountain might be up there, which is kind of like a, like a real deep cut for Poppy. But you know, like my fandom for this woman just fucking far exceeds that of even some of my favorite bands ever. And to be able to have eat, like just, you know, uh, consume me the way that it did. I went into detail in the top 100 song series about what the title track eat meant to me. Um, one of the best songs I've ever listened to in my life. Um, say cheese, the second song on here. This is maybe the just most destructive and chaotic song Poppy's ever written, which says something considering destruction and chaos kind of, I think embodies the majority of what she had been doing ever since the closing stretch on Am I a Girl back in 2018. Uh, so say cheese, it's just like all the way through, like just a carnage after carnage, scream after scream. There is one moment on there which has like a swing jazz type of feel to it. Um, and it's just like so admittedly out of place, but at the same time, I can't complain about it. I think it's a really, really cool element to that song. I think in some ways Q kind of resembles like a, a a more tame version of what I've been saying about Say Cheese. Q, you have those chaotic moments all throughout it, spread throughout it, I mean, but then in some instances, you're kind of given a moment to just breathe and relax, and Poppy takes uh, control of that song in the melodic manner that I think she has just refined to become a master class at. Uh, Breeders and Dark Dark World. I went to Breeders in the, the songs series, I mentioned there that the chorus is one of the best I think Poppy has ever written. Breed another hypocrite, breed another liar. God made you in his image, consumption and desires. Just one of the coolest, catchiest hooks I got the chance to hear all year long. Dark Dark World, I think that one, it's it's a little bit like, again, just go back to that tame idea. Dark Dark World is a little bit more tame than what is mostly present on Eat. Um, but it's just like able to still just like take control of my brain in the exact way that Poppy has been able to, because every time I listen to Poppy, it feels like this adventure. It just feels like an event more than it does just like a regular listening session for anything that I'm doing. Um, this does come significantly higher in the rankings than Flux. And I kind of went into a little bit of detail about this with Flux. I love Flux. I think it's a great record, a perfect record at that. 
and I admire being able to listen to a new side of Poppy, but I cannot lie to any of you, like, I think this will always be my preferred form of Poppy, this, uh, you know, chaotic, uh, destructive, metalcore, bubblegum type of sound, like, that is what I will forever know Poppy as, that is the kind of Poppy that I will always be drawn towards over anything else, and that is the reason why Eat is this high on the list. And again, a five-song EP, I can say now, this is the shortest release in the top ten, and I don't feel strange about putting five songs that are honestly kind of forgettable in the grand scheme of things above some of the best releases of the year, because I think Poppy, and specifically Eat, deserves to be in that discussion. If you're a Poppy fan, a Poppy stan like myself, like there's no way that you don't believe Eat was this just clinic on how to do what it is that she's been doing for you know the last few years of her career up until flux um eat is just the exact type of poppy that i wanted and i i i feel so complete having been able to hear this this year number six is one of the more surprising releases of the year in terms of like what was really able to just kind of like force its way onto this list and like for that matter force its way into such a high position because if you told me at the beginning of this year like okay this band you're gonna put their record above poppy of mice and men uh boston manor the plot and you knocked loose i would have thought it's not impossible but it's a long shot and then that long shot just became a, a really simplified reality for myself Considering that after hearing this record through one time, I had to ask myself, is this the best Swancore album I've ever listened to? Number six is The Architect by Idola. So when I brought up Idola songs in the Top 100 series, I was able to kind of mention this point uh, a little bit throughout that. I'll explain it again. So Swancore belongs to Dance Gavin Dance. I I feel like that's kind of irrefutable at this point. Uh, The genre owes everything that it has to Dance Gavin Dance. So naturally, all of my favorite Swancore songs and records came from Dance Gavin Dance. up until uh, The Architect dropped in September, September 17th to be exact, I had my mind made up that Instant Gratification was the best Swancore record ever made. I had my mind made up that, like, you know, maybe my favorite Swancore song ever is Chucky vs. the Giant Tortoise, or Spooks, or um, The Robot with Human Hair Part 4, or Lemon Meringue Tie. Just like, you know, whenever I thought of Swancore, my mind defaulted to Dance Game and Dance. And then... Ever since listening to The Architect for the first time three months ago, my mind has now defaulted to Idola. I now view Idola, at least for right now, as being the throne holders for Swancore. Um, in some ways, the release for this record was like kind of unfortunate, and Idola didn't really have um, like the 
best of scenarios. And I say that because this is a Rise Records release. Um, for whatever reason, Rise thought it was okay to drop The Architect the same day as Eternal Blue by Spirit Box, which was kind of one of the most anticipated debut records I've ever seen. And just like the understanding that like that day is going to end up belonging to Spirit Box, especially when it comes to like the promotion on the part of Rise. Um, so, you know, that really, really did suck. I, I don't like that the architect had to share a release date with Eternal Blue considering like, okay, one is clearly going to be favored than the other. But what ended up happening was Idola came out and dropped a record that told everybody, not just Rise Records, but all of the scene, like, hey, like, we belong in this discussion. Like, you're going to talk about, like, Record of the Year. You're going to talk about, like, you know, the pinnacles and the, the landmark moments of 2021. Yeah, you can point to Spirit Box and say everything you want to about them, fully deserved. But we also have a real claim to being the best band of the year with one of the best records of the year. I think Idola has a lot of the, that Dance Kevin Dance charm, and, and they do it really, really well. It helps that Andrew Wells is... Or, or the vocalist for Idola is literally also a part of Dance Gavin Dance. Um, but I would say, like, what he ended up doing with Idola and the rest of the band for that matter, this eclipses, like, the majority of what Dance Gavin Dance have been doing in the last, you know, six and a half years since Intergravitation came out. I do think this is a better record than Mothership. Maybe not by a lot, but I do think it is. I think it is quite better than Artificial Selection and significantly better than Afterburner. And then even outside of those recent releases, like I said, I really have to had to ask myself, like, is this the best Swan Core album I've ever listened to? So, like, now I'm not only putting it up against those records, I'm also putting it up against Instagravication. And, like, how does this record fare against both uh, Downtown Battle Mountains? Like, it's up there now. It really, really is. Um, I just can't stop listening to The Architect. Like, every single week, I find myself like, okay, I want to listen to Caustic Prayer. I want to listen to Elephant Bone. I want to listen to Mutual Fear. Like, there just always seems to be a new song on my mind for no reason at all, other than just that they fucking go. And, like, to me, that is, like, a testament to a flawless, perfect record when I can point to literally any song on the track listing and be like, yeah, let me bump that right now. The rollout for this record would have began back in, I think it was... I can't remember if it was June or July when Counterfeit Shrines dropped. And what that told me immediately was like this song and then hopefully the, the album, The Architect at Large, encompasses every facet of Swancore that speaks to me, that I look for, that just really, really means a lot to me. Counterfeit Shrines just oozes like that beauty and the chaos that I think is just like so emblematic of Swancore done to perfection. The moments on this record where Andrew just like excels at providing some of the most enchanting clean vocals of the entire year, that is when I feel like my connection to the architect goes from just being that of a fan supporter to that of somebody who just like feels like, you know, just going to like a fucking mountain peak and just like exclaiming out to the skies like, go stream the motherfucking architect. Like maybe that's like a really weird thing to say, but like that's just like the level of fandom that has been brought out of me over the last couple of months that I've been able to spend with the architect and understand the importance that it has to me in this present moment and the importance it's going to have for just many, many, many years to come. Um, there are two songs on this record that kind of act as interludes, but they are about as much of interludes as I would say a song like Ouch by Bring Me the Horizon is because I feel like Ouch just gives 
even more life and personality to Amo than was already there. Um, Alchemist, Ascendant, and Occam's Razor, those two songs, the way that they kind of just act as like, um, I guess they're meant to be breathers, but again, like they stand out on their own for all the right reasons. Um, just the, the beauty of those songs and how it like further exemplifies that journey that I feel the architect takes you on and just like that entire like discussion about Idola being that kind of a band that just like has this versatile range and can literally do whatever it is they want to. Like they are Swancore at the end of the day, but with songs like those, like you understand that you can't just like box them into one specific category. Like this is a band that can very well just be whatever they want to at any moment. And what's waiting for you at the end of The Architect is Ancient Temperament, which is six and a half minutes long. It's the longest song on the record. And for me, like, I look at that kind of a runtime, and for any band, other than, like, you know, the ones that are, like, really, really champion hard, I would think, like, okay, I can do that, but, like, it might be asking for a lot. With Ancient Temperament, it just feels like this kind of, like, this epic, uh, like, um, odyssey that uh, just like perfectly encapsulates everything that I felt when listening to The Architect, everything that I feel in each instance where I pull up this record and decide, let me just like, you know, treat myself to The Architect. Uh, because that's, ultimately, that's what this record is. It's a treat. It is just one of those kinds of records this year that I listen to and I'm like, am I even worthy of hearing this? Like, am I even allowed to exist in the same stratosphere as Idola and the architect and like just the way that the record like kind of like takes my hand and guides me through it it gives me the sense of like yeah like this is meant for me to to enjoy I am worthy of listening to the architect I am worthy of being able to express just openly and honestly with all of you why this is such an important record to me and why like I am having these real internal thoughts now of like is this the absolute pinnacle of Swancore in the genre's history? Because it really, really might be. Number five is... Okay, so we're getting to top five now. Let me say that now. Top five, this is like... I guess if you want to call it like the elite status for these records, you can. Even though I do really want to uh, apply that term to what I've been saying about like Idola and Poppy, uh, Holding Absence, and everybody else I've talked about on this installment. Um... But yeah, top five, this is, this is getting good. It's getting really, really good. These records, I mean, like, these are all records that I'm going to be listening to for the rest of my life. And I, I, I feel so grateful for that. Um, number five. So when the year started, if you, if you asked me like, Hey, write down, you know, three or four bands that you think could have record of the year, this would have been one of my choices. I would have said this band has everything going for them right now and all of the ability in the world to deliver one of the greatest records I've ever listened to and that is exactly what ended up happening. Number five is Beauty and Death by Chase Atlantic. Chase 
Chase Atlantic have quite a few projects to their name already, a couple EPs. Uh, their debut record, the self-titled, there were some EPs that ended up comprising that record, similarly to what I mentioned earlier with uh, A Mice Men and Echo. And then there was Phases back in 2019. And just like from, from start to finish, the discography of Chase Atlantic, for myself personally, consists of some of the absolute best songs I've ever been able to experience and enjoy and just like uh, obtain these attachments to that like I cannot be ripped away from you cannot tell me that Chase Atlantic is not one of the absolute best bands to ever exist when I can just pull up their discography on Spotify and be like oh if they're not the best band if they're not one of the best bands ever then uh, explain Cassie to me explain Angels explain Out the Roof explain Molly just fucking like uh, Dancer in the Dark like all of these amazing songs that have meant so much to me the last couple of years that have like really, really defined my transition into adulthood and then like trying to navigate this confusing thing called life. Like that is what Chase Atlantic has meant to me. That's what they've been able to do for me. And, you know, I, it, it feels so appropriate that the worst year of my life, I was able to at least have a Chase Atlantic record there to kind of like, uh, put me in a, a spot of like comfort, I guess. And I, I just mentioned Out the Roof and Molly. Those were the two songs coming into 2021 that I already had in hand, and I was able to use those to kind of figure out, like, okay, there's something coming from Chase Atlantic. Out the Roof and Molly, I think, work perfectly in unison with each other to really sell you on the two sides of Chase Atlantic. You know, you have, like, the the party fuckaboy side of them without the roof, and then you have that emotional, heartfelt nature that they can, like, just so fluidly navigate with Molly. And you put these two elements together and you get everything that I think Beauty and Death stands for. As soon as you press play on Beauty and Death, the first thing that you're greeted with is Paranoid. And the initial buildup for it that just like really, really like lets you into the deep waters of Beauty and Death, like kind of like carefully, but at the same time, it's like telling you firsthand, like, hey, this is what this record's about. Yes, it sounds like just like great and energetic and like almost like a party anthem for many of the instrumentations. But like understand that what you're hearing, this is gonna like leave a mark. Cold eyes, all my demons danced through the motherfucking nighttime, said I wouldn't sniff it, took a whole line, poison in my brain, felt it creeping through on both sides, oh my, I'm three pills down and wide the fuck awake, in three more hours, been up for seven days, I can see the moon and the trees, take a deep breath in, hyperventilate. I don't see uh, Chase Atlantic's work with this record as being something that like glorifies that party lifestyle and like, you know, the intake of like Xanax or Hennessy. What I think is happening here is they're just kind of being really, really brutally open and honest in the same way that, you know, some of my favorite bands ever are. You know, I can point to a lot of bands I've come across in the last 20 years that of my fandom for music and understand like, okay, the same way that they talk about, you know, some really, really dark themes that have centered their lives. Um, this is what Chase Atlantic is doing and it's coming across in such an authentic way. I don't hear these songs and think like they're putting on some kind of a front or a gimmick or they're not really about that shit. No, they are. And now they're detailing to me, you know, what it's like to have that kind of a lifestyle and then perhaps the consequences of it at the same time. And then like when you get into the second track here, Please Zanny, the chorus is genuinely a cry for help. Oh, please Zanny, I'm so anxious that I need Zannies. Yeah, I can tell that the anxiety is tearing me apart. Now please, Zanny, I'll do anything to breathe, Zanny. So go and break all my relationships and break my fucking heart. And again, it's like that heartfelt nature and that ability that Chase, Chase Atlantic has 
to let the audience know exactly what is happening and not mask it in any way. Like, yeah, the backing track is like really, really fucking infectious and like you can vibe to it, you can dance to it. But at the same time, like you hear this, these kinds of songs for what they are, like you're on your fucking knees crying, dude. Like that's just the way it is. But then, and, and I'm going to point out Out the Roof again because it's the track that follows Please Zanny. With that song, you kind of have like this, um, like, uh, it, it takes, um, not really, but it kind of tries to take back, like, what a song like Please Zanny just said. Because then when you get to Out the Roof, I just pop three in a row, Gasolini, What I Smoke, Gasolini, We Slide the Door, Slide the Door, Please Don't Try This Shit at Home, We Send Souls Up to the Sky, When We Don't Want to Talk It Through, See Us, Then We Take Your Life, What the Fuck You Gonna Do? So, in some ways, I can't fully relate to what is happening with Beauty and Death, because... Like, while I do deal with a lot of the topics here, like depression and anxiety, um, I personally do not have the same vices as the members of Chase Atlantic, but I do still have vices. I have the things that I latch onto and I think that they're helping me when in actuality, they're probably doing maybe not more harm, but they're still doing a great deal of harm. But at this point, I can't pull myself away from that stuff. It's just like, in my nature, it's who I am, and there's not much I can do about that stuff. So, like, you know, I'm talking about, like, these vices and everything. Uh, the song Call Me Back, I feel, is just, like, so rooted in, like, the kinds of things that bring me anxiety in the first place. If you get a minute, call me back. I'm so lonely, and you're the only one that knows me. And if you're busy, then I understand it. It's bad timing, and I'm probably going to end up crying. Like, it, it's as if a song like Call Me Back was specifically written for me and from my perspective and it's just like so eerie to be listening to a song that feels like it's being spoken directly to you directly to your emotions directly to your heart and while i'm thankful for all this it's also just like man sometimes this like really really hurts to listen to um beauty and death the title track I didn't really get much of a chance in the, the song series or like any other instance in any episode this year to just truly, truly gas up that track. But the exuberance in the instrumentation that combines with the, del the delivery of the chorus, that was one of my absolute favorite moments of the entire record. And like, I just think a song like that just perfectly gives off the, the fullest understanding and idea of what a band like Chase Atlantic is able to do. Um, Aaliyah, an another song that, you know, just like has that like cocky and arrogant side to Chase Atlantic, the side to them that like, you know, uh, takes pride in their vices. And like uh, an, an, uh, an excerpt from Aaliyah, I'm like really, really stumbling now. Lean in my fana, got me feeling fucking dizzy. I just took a shot at that Henny, immediately got me losing my mind. If they want to smoke, then I'm ready. She got a hold of me. I told her, hold tight. And like, just God, man. The, the ability for this band to, again, just genuinely, literally be whatever they want to at any fucking moment. And you get into the closing song, Wasted, the absolute fucking perfect cap-off and send-off to one of the best records I've ever listened to. And and just, like, the idea of, like, the band went through everything with all these tracks, all the ups, all the downs, and all they're left with now is a song like Wasted, which perfectly gives off, like, it, it tells you right from the lyrics what is happening here. Now I'm wasted, can't pick my face off the floor on some GTA shit, she says I've been here before and she fucking hates me, my life was better before all this fame hit, every day I'm faded, and then you go into the outro of the chorus, the, the final lines spoken, not just in Wasted but in Beauty and Death altogether, 
but fuck it, now I'm wasted. And by that point, I'm just sitting there like, how does this band keep doing this? Like, how do they keep getting away with this? How are they able to just write the absolute most fucking perfect songs I've ever listened to just in succession of one another? This band has never, ever disappointed. They've never not hit the fucking mark in anything that they've done. And the other thing is like, they're not finished because we got two more songs from them this year in Omami and Escort, which those artworks for those singles say Beauty and Death Deluxe Edition. So there is a deluxe for this record coming in 2022. You know, per my rules that I established at the, the start of the first episode, Beauty and Death Deluxe is not going to be eligible for a year-end award in 2022. Only like the new songs on there. But it's just like, you know, what more is there to tell about the story of Beauty and Death? Apparently a lot more, but like, if, if they capped it off like just these 12 songs, like, that's still this absolutely perfect record that is able to just like, uh, surpass so much of what I've listened to, not just this year or this decade, but in my entire life. Chase Atlantic is a hundred percent never once not been that fucking band. <sighs> Please just give me a minute to catch my breath because, yeah, okay, uh, we're gonna keep going? Yeah, let's keep going. So, alright, uh, I, I think I said this in that songs, the, the, the top 20 songs episode, like, I'm shaking right now, guys, like, my hands are actually shaking, like, and tingling. I think I asked in that episode, like, is this passion? And I think I understand now, yeah, it is. Like, this is what happens to me when I'm able to just, like, speak my mind and just, like, go on and on and on and on and on with no ending about the things that make me happy in life. The things that are, like, really, really able to bring me joy in my darkest moments. Okay. Okay. Ready. Number four. Um, I haven't had a ton of time to spend with this record. It came out a couple weeks ago at this point. Um, but I made a statement in that review where I said, I honestly was thinking about whether this is at the very least the best pop punk album I have listened to since from under the cork tree by fallout boy, which that expands 16 and a half years. So I, I made that statement back then as more of a question right now. I am saying it again as a concrete opinion. This is the best pop punk album I have heard in the last 16 and a half years. Number four is Armageddon by Between You and Me. I might not have to go into as great of detail with some of the other records, uh, or the, the amount of detail that I did with other records as I would with Armageddon, because it wasn't that long ago that I got the chance to review this on the podcast. Uh, this was a November 19 release, if I'm not mistaken, so pretty much four weeks now. Um, I had all of the praise in the world for Armageddon back when it dropped, and... I feel like my connection with this record has only 
grown like almost i don't when i say significantly when i already had like such a just like a strong connection to everything that between you and me have been doing um i don't really know why i'm posing that like as a question towards all of you when it's a question for myself but you know whatever we ball we move um so coming into 2021 i i i guess i assumed that there would be new between you and me um or maybe not assume because you can't really assume the moves of bands and artists through the pandemic but it had been a minute since their last record i was it 2018 that that was a release it it wasn't 2017 it hasn't been 2018 um everything is temporary which um it's okay i i, I don't dislike the record at all but um okay so i know what the issue was for that record uh, specifically one year earlier 2017 between you and me released the single overthinking and that is one of the best pop punk songs i've ever heard i just think it exudes every bit of character that i would come to a band like between you and me for and i don't know if i necessarily believed that vibrancy was found on everything is temporary but again still solid i didn't dislike it at all uh but it didn't make Between You and Me the kind of band that I was like really, really like just, you know, focusing in on and believing that, believing that there were big things coming for them. So then we fast forward to the second week of June this past year or this year, I mean, um, Supervillain. So let's talk about it for a second because Supervillain came out in a very 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 stressful week for myself um so it was the week that i got levi and armin my my current cats and i i okay there's a there's excitement that comes from you know adopting two new kittens who need homes and you know you you think you're doing a good thing for at the same time understand that me coming off of everything that happened with Mikasa, um, it was kind of more scary than it was exciting in those initial days and weeks of me having Levi and Armin, just being so worried and fearful of even like the slightest thing that could happen to them and, you know, creating all of these maybe unrealistic scenarios in my head of what could go wrong because I never got an answer for what happened to Mikasa, you know, I... I will never, ever truly know, like, why she is gone. So, to, to have, like, that week where, you know, these new cats are depending on me and I have to question, like, can I even take care of them? Am I capable of this? Uh, that was the week that Supervillain dropped, and I ultimately named it number one in Scenic Overlook because Supervillain, in that instance, was able to provide me with the biggest distraction from everything that was happening in my life and for me that like really really means something considering what was happening in the rest of the scene that week so you know a couple of minutes ago i uh talked about uh eat by poppy that same week to the hellfire by learner short drop to the hellfire ended up ranking number six i believe maybe it was five for the top 100 song series so like that was literally a fucking banner week when it came to like what I would uh, ultimately be talking about for the year-end stuff. Yet, it was Supervillain from that week that left the biggest mark on me because I was able to kind of just like, you know, 
picture stuff in my head, like stories that don't necessarily pertain to me, think about, you know, anime or whatever else, and just like create these scenarios that, you know, have nothing to do with what's happening in my life at that moment. And I really, really needed something like that. So you look at the course for supervillain. I heard that I'm a bad person and you hate it, but she deserves her own opinion and that's fine. So you can drag me all you want now, baby. Have your 20 seconds in the spotlight. Again, it was just the kind of song that, you know, I couldn't really like put myself in the position of. I couldn't identify with it on a personal level. But in reality, that was exactly what I needed at that point in time. The more time that I got to spend with Supervillain over the preceding months, there was more of an attachment that I was able to develop with it in the sense of like, um, so I, I think Jake, the vocalist of Between You and Me said this, it wasn't on social media, it was like in an interview somewhere about how Supervillain was kind of about like wanting to, you know, be liked by everybody and then kind of having to come to, come to the realization that nobody is liked by everybody, you know, you kind of just have to roll with what you're given, roll with things in that instance. And it's a message that I kind of have to like really, really take at heart because uh, for this platform specifically, like, you know, I would love for everybody who is into scene music to listen to what I do and, you know, maybe support me. But at the same time, I understand that's not going to happen, you know? There will be people, maybe this already happened and I don't, I don't know about it, but there will be people as this platform hopefully grows in the future who just, you know, don't fuck with what I do and they kind of maybe shit on it, maybe make fun of me over something and I have to try not taking that personally and Supervillain in, in those regards is going to be the kind of song that I need to hold on to. Um, another single deadbeat, I thought just, you know, maybe not as good as Supervillain, but it was still the kind of song that just like really, really cemented to me what was to come out of Between You and Me in 2021 and really, really solidify the idea in my head of like, this is going to be like one of my most revered bands of the year. And I'm saying this off of the strength of two singles, but like, I could just tell from what I was hearing that there's something just like really, really, really fucking huge on the horizon for Between You and Me. And for me personally, what that ended up culminating in wasn't necessarily the record, but it was Butterflies. So Butterflies, I named my song of the year in that top 100 list. Literally, it was number one. And, you know, a week later, no regrets whatsoever about that. Butterflies is one of the best songs I've ever heard. It is you know, clearly from what I've been saying, in my opinion, the best song of this year, there is this beauty in butterflies that comes from uh, certain areas of my life that are not beautiful in the slightest. And I adore butterflies for that re for that reason. I adore how it kind of like puts things through a filter and it's sort of like, you know, there's a bright side and a fucking dark side to everything. And you kind of just have to dance your way through all that i guess um the single after that or okay there were two after that but one i kind of don't really count and i'll get into why um okay so uh change change is about like you know the environment and climate change and global warming and like how you know 
we as like human species are really, 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 really not helping the fucking cause when it comes to the kind of damage that we're causing, you know, whether we mean to or not. Um, at the same time, I also think, um, you could take the narrative and the lyrical content of change and kind of apply it to whatever it is that you want to. Um, so you're looking at the chorus for the song and I say, Hey, maybe we messed up somewhere along the way. It's a fine line refray when the world just needs a leader, an optimistic believer. Please, I'm waiting for the world to change. And, you know, so clearly, like, that, you know, speaks pretty well to the idea of, like, global warming and the environment, things like that. Um, but when I see the lines, when the world need, when the world just needs a leader, an optimistic believer, please, I'm waiting for the world to change. I personally think you could take that kind of a story and give it a spin that applies it to like you having to be your leader, you having to be your optimistic believer, and you having to be the one to change not the world at large, but your world at the very least. And like that is just the singles rollout. When you get into the rest of the material on the record, like right from the intro, pleased to meet you. Like look at the fucking the, the lyric at the start. Pleased to meet you, stranger. Welcome to the ending. Like the idea of like, hey, fucking Armageddon this is it, this is the end, and then ultimately the rest of the record being like, here is like your, you know, retrospect of life if this really were the end. So for me, it's like, um, okay, I'm gonna go more into like personal stuff, but like I said already, this is just gonna come naturally given that we're getting into like that top echelon territory for records. So uh, after everything happened over the summer with Mikasa, then uh, being diagnosed with anxiety and being put on meds for the first time for something like that, uh, starting therapy. Um, one of the things that like was really, really affecting me throughout all that was, um, I believe hypochondria is the word. Um, that being like somebody who is just like so aware of their health all the time. Um, so, uh, it was the last Wednesday of May, I recorded an episode of this podcast. It was the one where I talked about like Never Tell and the Devil Wars Prada and things like that from, from May. I, so I drank two monsters to try and help me stay awake to record that show, then ultimately edit it. I tried falling asleep, like maybe like around like 4 a.m., close to 5 a.m., maybe. And my heart just started beating like, the fastest it ever has. And like m my body just doing this thing that I, I, I don't know what it, what it was. And I start Googling, like, what am I feeling? And just by the way, don't fucking Google your symptoms. Like don't try and go on WebMD and like figure out what is wrong with you. Because like everything that shows up as like an immediate search result is the worst case scenario. So I'm reading stuff online and I'm like, I'm having a heart attack. Like I'm going to fucking die. And what that ended up doing for me was just make me believe every single day was going to be my last, like making me believe that I was in such bad health that I was just going to drop dead one day. So with Armageddon, that is like what my reality was for a long time. And admittedly, I do fall back into those mindsets from time to time, moment to moment. And you know, the idea of like a welcome to the ending being like one of the first or the first line on this record, it kind of makes me think like, you know, 
what if what if it is, it is the ending like everything that i've been fearing this whole year like what if something does happen but at the same time the way that armageddon is laid out it's like between you and me is kind of just like guiding me through all of my worries and my anxiety and the thing that's the things that stress me out and in a weird way like assure me it's not really armageddon like everything is going to be fine there's really not enough i can say about what armageddon relays to me both lyrically and sonically because lyrically like i've already said like these are some of the just heaviest songs of the year when it comes to how much they've impacted me but then also these are some of the catchiest most upbeat vibrant pop punk songs i've ever been able to enjoy and that combination just makes for the kind of record that i cannot possibly deny in any fashion i don't really know how anybody could um it's just so rewarding and satisfying to have been able to make it through everything that I have. And I don't want to say get through because like, or, or get over, I mean, because I'm not over what happened to me. I don't think I ever will be. It's just like a part of me now, a part of my life that I have to live through. But that struggle was made just a bit easier with Armageddon. And, you know, to have, to have everything that happened to me uh, back in May and then all throughout the rest of the 2021 um you know it was at the six month mark of Mikasa's passing that I got to hear Armageddon for the first time because she passed away May 18th Armageddon because I live in a central time zone I got to listen to 11 p.m on November 18th so you know to make it to that halfway mark like halfway of a year and to have a record like this just speak to me and tell me all the things that I needed to hear, like, there, there, there's really, there are really no words. Like, that is genuinely, like, why I love music. It's why I feel so strongly about this medium, why I care enough to come on here every week, and in the case of the last two weeks, every day, and tell you guys about why I give a shit about it. Because of records like Armageddon. And I never, ever ever want to lose sight of what you know projects like armageddon and bands like between you and me have been able to do to me because it really truly helps in this instance and many others music heals and i really really just cannot think between you and me enough for what they've meant to me this year <sighs> okay literally almost at the end, my voice really, really can't take much more of this. I, I can feel it going out, but I have to push through and just, you know, get to the finish. Okay, so now we're up the top three records. Um, what I will say is, you know, I love Armageddon at number four. I love Beauty and Death at number five. I love The Architect number six, Eat seven, uh, Greatest Music of My Life, eight. Uh, you know, all those records I immensely enjoy and I always will. That will never change. But what I have to say to be completely transparent to all of you is only the top three were ever like really, really in contention for number one. So the next three records, all of them were number one at some point in the formation of this list. And it was kind of hard to try figuring out what was going to go where 
But what I ultimately landed on, I think is what really, really speaks to how I'm feeling right now. And what I feel in the moment, that's kind of all I really have to go off of. So number three is the highest ranked EP on this list. So thus, obviously, I'm saying this is my EP of the year. It's truly in contention with Post-Human by Bring Me the Horizon from last year for my overall favorite EP of the decade so far. And in some moments, I think it's better than Post-Human. Number three is Fever by Against the Current. I didn't really know at what point in the explanation for Fever that I would get to this, but I feel like just kind of starting off with this, rather. Um, this record kind of saved Ulterior in a lot of ways, I think. So, again, over the summer, there was really like a little activity for me when it came to podcasting. I was still uploading the graphics weekly to Instagram and Twitter about, you know, record reviews, singles reviews, my uh, scenic overlook choices. All that was still happening, but the actual episodes were just kind of like, just very, very, you know, random at times, like I would maybe feel like it or not. Um, there were, I think like maybe two or three instances where I started recording an episode and then just didn't finish it. And then by the time I maybe felt like finishing it, there was already like a new cycle for the week to begin. So it was kind of pointless. Um, and then at the end of July, I did the top 10 artists of July episode uh, the audio for that is just, like, real fucking shitty. I recorded it in, like, the worst setup I ever have. It, it was really, really horrible. Um, but my number one artist for July was Against the Current because of the quality and the impact of Fever on myself. And while explaining why I liked Fever so much on that episode, I just kind of thought to myself, like, I really, really could have used with an actual, like, episode and, and space dedicated to talking about fever because I just feel like there's so much quality material here that, you know, I can't possibly get across to people in like a five minute span, at least in the way that I wanted to. And after that, I think I decided to just, you know, go ahead and invest in a new equipment, a new setup for the podcast, because that was what was really, really going to help me just finally get off my ass and do something with this stuff. And ultimately, I did that. And I think two weeks after Fever dropped, I recorded the episode where I talked about like, um, Lauren Shore, If I Die First, Trash Boat, Black Bear, Caskets. And I have uploaded at least once a week consistently ever since then. So it's been three months of just straight activity on the podcast. And I really genuinely believe I have Against the Current to thank for that. But my praise and admiration for Against the Current does not begin with fever this past July. Um, it, it, it's kind of hard to like pinpoint a time frame when that actually happened, or like when I became aware of this band and started just champion championing, I have trouble saying that word, championing them so fucking hard. But I knew of them back in like around 2013 when they were they were, I don't want to say they were a cover band, 
but I found them through some covers on YouTube that were made by like Alex Groot or uh, Max Schneider. I believe that is uh, who he was I or who he is. Um, no, it wasn't Max. Max is... No, it was Kurt Schneider, right? Why am I saying this? Like, I'm searching it now because it's really, really going to bother me. Yeah, Kurt Schneider. Max Schneider is um, a different artist. Really good artist, though. Go, go check him out if you never have. Um, but Chrissy was a part of a lot of those covers. I remember that specifically there was a, um, a cover of 22 by Taylor Swift that she was a part of. And that was, I think, the first time I saw her. And I was just like, there's something here. Like, she was the standout of that video. Um, I don't really remember, like, what other covers they might have had at the time. But my point is, at the end of 2013, I remember watching the music video for Closer Faster, which is off of their Infinity EP, I believe it was. Gravity was something else. Gravity was the one after that, right? It has to be. Um, and I just thought, like, the music video was just, like, kind of, like, cute and quirky and funny in some ways. And then, just sonically, the song just fucking went, dude. It delivered on everything that, like, you know, you can ask for, like, a pop-inspired, uh, like, alternative rock track to sound. And that really, really made me, like, take notice of Against the Current. And I followed them ever since then, all through, again, the Infinity EP, and then into Gravity, and then into In Our Bones and Past Lives. I've never, ever believed that this band has missed. They've always delivered, no matter what kind of a sound they've embarked on. And then at the end, towards the end of 2020, rather, That Won't Save Us came out. And That Won't Save Us ended up being the lead single for Fever. That song displayed a lot more aggression and, in some ways, I think more character for Against the Current. Not that there was no character prior, because, like, I think this band has always exuded, like, that kind of personality. But there's just something about the delivery of That Won't Save Us that, like, told me whatever they're going to do in 2021, this will be like a, a, a new incarnation of Against the Current. Um, I can't remember exactly when it was this year, but maybe around like March or February, um, Chrissy had said on her Twitch stream that something that the band was considering doing was recording like a series of EPs uh that would culminate in a record but like all the eps kind of have a different sound to them so basically what bring me the horizon is going to attempt to do with post-human that was the initial plan for fever or for, for against the current uh from here on out i don't know the status of that because there's never really been anything expanded on from that idea aside from just chrissy mentioning it on a twitch stream but what i will say is the idea might be happening because again Fever does have a different sound compared to what Against the Current had been doing the whole time, but I think this is the best incarnation of Against the Current that there has ever been. This is them at the absolute fucking top of their game, and it's not just that won't save us that does it. You know, it's Weapon, it's Burn It Down, it's Lullaby, it's Jump. I talked about Weapon, Burn It Down, and Lullaby in the Top 100 Song Series. Weapon was ranked considerably high. I have such a personal attachment to that song and just like the infectious nature of it and how just fucking hard it goes. Uh, Burn It Down, I think it's like a really, really overlooked song that just has like a lot of just meaning to it. It's really, really cool. Production is great. Lullaby was co-written by Ollie Sykes and Jordan Fisher, Bring Me the Horizon, and bringing together those minds with Against the Current just made for this really, really sick standout song. Uh, Jump is one of those songs that like... Like, it gets me fucking amped. It makes me think I can bench, like, fucking 225 or whatever. I can't, but, like, you know, play me fucking jump and maybe I'll think I can. 
um, the chorus of that has resonated with me ever since I first heard the song. So just jump. What are you waiting? What are you waiting for? Don't be afraid of wanting something more. Jump into the deep end to find your way back up. Don't be afraid of wanting something more. Just jump. And, you know, that's a really, really cool message that I admire so much, uh, being able to get out of this band. Um, <clears throat> sorry. Shatter is the one that feels like it kind of gets away from me in my brain at times. Um, but then I go back and listen to it and I just hear like how somber it is, the beautiful flow of it, that like really scaled back nature that builds up towards the end of it where like the band doesn't come in full force, but they come in with just enough force to really close out Shatter on as big of a note as possible. What Fever does for me, aside from again being like kind of the thing that brought this platform back to life, it just... I don't know, man. It's hard to really like put it into words. And that's kind of a bad take on my end because like it's quote unquote my job. It's not a job. It's a hobby, but it's my duty to put these things into words. But when it comes to something like fever, it's just hard to do it because I feel like for as much as I love it and adore it, like I've only realized maybe like 20% of my adoration for it. And it's only going to grow exponentially from here on out this is going to be a record that i will take with me through whatever happens in my future all the good all the bad fever is going to be right by my side and like it's weird to say that's comforting considering like there is some like destruction to what is happening here you look at the artwork and you see like just like fire and i think there's like a warehouse uh, that is encompassing that um and then lyrically with you know songs like that won't save us weapon that have like that just aggression to them um but then you you know you you talk about jump and like there's your motivation there's your inspiration like this record can kind of like you know just make me think about you know the the deepest depths of where i feel like my life can go but then also the highest of highs that it can go fever means the world to me in a way that some records i've ever listened to not just this year but in the entirety of my life don't and it it made me just feel everything that i would ask for something like this to make me feel and that's why fever is number three so now we get into number two and i think i said this about chase atlantic where coming into the year i was able to think of maybe like four or five acts who i could predict as potentially having record of the year this was my prediction this was number one like this was the band i thought for certain was going to have my record of the year and after hearing it, I thought, yeah, like the race is over. It's done. Like I still have to do reviews from here on out, you know, but it's, it's finished. Like this is it. This is what this whole, you know, platform is meant to build to my ability to listen to this record and then come onto this show and tell all of you about why it is the absolute best record of the year. And then it didn't happen. Not to any fault of this band or this record, but just because number one had to be number one and it feels so fucking crazy to think that i'm about to call this like a second place record um i guess i have to do it now though right number two and the runner-up for the first ever mikasa award for ulterior is eternal blue by spirit box
if this is your number one, I get it. I really, really do. And God, I, I kind of had like this internal debate in my head of like, is it number one? But at the same time, I'm like, no, dude, you know what number one is. Don't fucking, you know, run away from this just because you want to give Spirit Box number one. Like, God, Spirit Box runner up for record and song. Like, that is insane to me. But like, at the same time, I can't deny what was actually number one. Um, but I'll get into that later. Let me talk about Spirit Box. Let me talk about Eternal Blue because it feels like all year long that that is all that the scene has done. It's just talk about this band and talk about this record and talk about the songs that make up one of the absolute best album experiences I have ever had the privilege of enjoying. So in some ways, it feels like my journey specifically with Spirit Box did not begin with this band's formation or even when I found out about them, but it was through I Wrestled a Bear once because Courtney LaPlante and Mike Stringer came from that band. For those who don't know, I Wrestled a Bear once is a, 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 this older band, or maybe not older, but like um, a, a, a dated band uh, from around the time that I was in high school, then transitioning into college. Um, I wouldn't say I was like a huge I Wrestled a Bear once fan, but I really, really liked a lot of what they did, especially their last record with Courtney. It was called Hail Mary. And... I think if you go back and listen to Hail Mary, you can kind of hear a little bit of like a blueprint for what would eventually become Spirit Box in the same way of like, if you go back to that last Attack Attack record, This Means War, or the last one that I want to acknowledge, um, that felt like a precursor to Beartooth. So uh, some of the elements from that I Rested Bear Once record carried over into Spirit Box. And with this specific band, they seemingly built up all of the, of the momentum in the world that a band possibly could have for their debut record. So the singles collection in 2019, and then after that, Rule of Nines and Blessed Be acting as like two standalone singles that were ultimately not on Eternal Blue, but they probably would have fit right in. Not just like because of how good they are, but like that kind of uh, like a, a somber, almost lucid-like take on Metalcore, I think would have blended perfectly with Eternal Blue. Um... So it wasn't until Holy Roller came out last July in 2020 that things started like really, really going for Spearbox in the lead up to Eternal Blue. So Holy Roller became maybe the most viral song from the scene in 2020. The amount of reactions on YouTube that were made to the song and just like the streaming numbers for it, like Holy Roller took the fuck off. Like y'all need to understand that. And I think Holy Roller wasn't even meant to be on Eternal Blue, but I would imagine that might have been like a record label decision on on Rise's part, uh, because like, how do you not have a song as big as Holy Roller not make an appearance on this band's debut album? Um, and then from there, Constance was like the next single, and Constance ended up being the closer on Eternal Blue, and I usually don't really like it when songs that I already heard get the treatment for closer, but there was no other way to end Eternal Blue. Like, Constance is one of the most just like, gut-punching, um, like, stomach-turning, beautiful songs I've ever listened to. It is as gorgeous as it is malevolent, and it, it, it just, like, it strikes me, man. The video for it, the way that it sounds, the, the build-up to it at the end that sounds, like, so just, like, demented. Like, all of that just really, really makes Constance one of the standouts of this record. And, and given, like, I had heard it, you know, we all heard it, like, nine months beforehand. Um... Circle With Me, Secret Garden, Hurt You. Those were the other three singles that all came out this year in the lead up to Eternal Blue. Circle With Me, I love so much the like um, 
like almost like a laid back nature of the verses, but at the same time, those verses just feel like wide open spaces that just gave Spirit Box like the free reign to show off what they can do when they're not so heavy. Secret Garden, there's no screaming in it whatsoever. It's one of the few songs on this record that you can say that about, but it might be my favorite. It is one of those kinds of songs that came to me at the right moment. I have been able to take it with me through the ups and the downs of my year and like a song like that just means the world to me. Hurt You is one of those kinds of songs that like it's so heavy and catchy and at the same time like the embodiment of some of the more darker and grotesque stuff that you can find within spirit box songs uh so like i'm, I'm talking about the chorus for, for hurt you i hope you find what you're fighting for i am happier when i hurt you your medicine is the coldest war i am happier when i hurt you like just having courtney sing to you i am happier when i hurt you like that is the kind of thing that like for me personally like that sticks with me that's not something that this record lets me forget about it is just like one of the standout bright moments of a record that has nothing but standout and bright moments the sam carter feature on yellow jacket is one of the coolest things i got to listen to all year and being somebody who like is a big advocate of metalcore when it's done right this is metalcore done to absolute pure fucking perfection um the summit and uh we live in a strange world i think are the two songs that kind of um so when i talk about we live in a strange world with a top 100 song series I refer to it as this band's Amo moments, and I think you can also relay that to The Summit. The Summit and We Live in a Strange World just feel like these experimentations on the part of Spirit Box that showed when they decide not to be heavy and just like be, you know, this chill, like soothing band, they excel at that just as well as they excel at a heavy sound like with um, Holy Roller or uh, Silk in the Strings. Um, the title track, Eternal Blue, has some of Courtney's best moments on this record. The chorus, she just like takes another step forward into superstardom and shows off just like how much of a fucking rock star she is. And I don't mean rock star as in like, uh, you know, the context that you would think of. I, I just mean like a superhero like entity and just how well she carries herself and how well she presents herself. And what's left of me a cavity, at least this space in, is mine. It's where you left me to die. I wish my blood would slow down. You can make my blood rush slow down. I, I, I think ultimately what I'm trying to get at with Eternal Blue is the chances of this band catching the kind of momentum wave that they did. D like, what was the likelihood of that? Because there wasn't a lot about Singles Collection or Rule of Nines or Blessed Be that I thought could like translate well to like a, a mainstream sound but i say mainstream as it pertains to the scene um like that felt kind of weird in itself for me and then you know you think about like all of the the hype and the praise that they're receiving and it's like can they really take all that and deliver on a record their debut record for that matter their first try at something of this caliber and magnitude and like just hearing eternal blue for the first time i couldn't put into words like what what I was feeling internally, it was just like, it was pride, it was happiness, it was sorrow, it was pain, it was a, a release of emotions that I had been storing in me, it was just like this out-of-body experience, for lack of a better way of phrasing that. Eternal Blue is one of the best albums I've ever been able to listen to, 
it is one of the best debut records ever. I'm talking like in the conversation of like hybrid theory debut quality. Like this is up there for me. Eternal Blue is the fulfillment of everything that Spirit Box promised us. And I, God, it just feels like, like almost like once in a generation to get a record like this. And I, I love everything about Eternal Blue. I really, really do. And the fact that it's not number one still blows my mind. But when I think about what actually is number one, th there's no way you can't convince me that this is not the best record of the year. You can't convince me this is not one of the best songs that, or, or th th some, these are some of the best songs that any of us have ever been able to hear. Like, there's just something about number one, and I'm really, really going to try my best to get fully and thoroughly into detail about why I feel this way. But I cannot believe, like, you know, Look at who it beat for me, okay? Spirit Box, Against the Current, Chase Atlantic, Poppy, Maggie Lindemann. Like, these are some of my favorite bands and artists in history. And up until this point, I, I loved the, the band that has my number one, but I wouldn't have put them in that conversation for the greatest band of all time. Now, I feel like they forced my hand and there's nothing I can do about it. And that's okay because I don't want to feel any differently. I, I'm ready to say that they are one of the best bands of all time, and I am ready to explain why, out of everything I listened to this year, all 305 records, why this is number one. So, okay. All, all that being said, I guess I'll just, just do it now, right? Number one. The winner of the first ever Mikasa Award for Ulterior is Welcome to Horrorwood, The Silver Scream 2 by Ice Nine Kills. I have always liked I Sign Kills. I eventually loved I Sign Kills coming off of, uh, every trick in the book. And then once I got like towards the record cycle for the original Silver Scream and I heard the American Nightmare, it, it was like the opening of a new world for me. The American Nightmare is one of the most important songs I've ever listened to. It's one of the best metalcore songs of at the very least the last decade. And then the rest of the record came out and it was like, how do people do this? Like how? just like goaded do you have to be at like not only playing your instruments but also composing lyrics and concepts to be able to craft something like this and you know I, I, maybe it's all credited to like the mind or not all of it but like a large part of it could be credited to the mind of Spencer Charnas and how maybe he's really just like this weird guy who's just like a big fanatic of horror stuff and if that's the case and like you know all fair play to him he fucking excels at this and there's no other way I would rather have Ice Nine Kills be presented to me. And, you know, yes, you can call it a gimmick. You can call it corny and cheesy and whatever. Played out. Fine. Say everything you want to about Ice Nine Kills. I will not deny that this is a gimmick, gimmicky, that this is corny, that this is like really cheesy, maybe cringe. You know, a lot of the things that happen here. Yeah. If I wasn't into this band, I would be pointing at and being like, oh, that's fucking weird. Why are people into this? But I'll explain you why people are into this. Because it's fucking good. And I can't really see how you don't 
view eyesight kills or welcome to harwood in that manner it's just good at the end of the day are these songs good yeah they're great even perfect even um the, just the, the way that this record just opens with opening night and again like you want to talk about like cringe yeah opening night is like some of just the cheesiest shit i've ever listened to from this goddamn scene and i listen to it and i'm just like man this is really how my favorite record of the year begins it's just you know it is what it is and i love it for that and then you go into the i guess you, uh, unofficial opener the title track welcome to Hollywood, which is other than opening night the only song on this record that is not about a specific movie it's kind of just about the record and what you're about to get into um so just to pull up some of the lyrics from that sit back for the sequel of your dreams all psychos crave more shocking scenes who cares if it bleeds beyond the screen are you misunderstood are you more bad than good welcome to Hollywood, where anyone would kill for a callback it's just like some of the fucking most tongue-in-cheek like waving at you breaking the fourth wall kind of stuff i've listened to and it's so easy for something like that and the exploration of a concept like that to just be derailed and ultimately come across as like really really fucking terrible and bad but a, a, a testament to the talent and the abilities of ice and kills says that that makes perfect sense like there's no other way i can imagine welcome to Harwood beginning from there like the kind of um like nods to the films that you can hear in the songs so assault and batteries like beginning with like the uh the news report about uh a serial killer or the the spirit of a serial killer possessing some boy's doll and then how that leads into just this completely fucking maniacal song where spencer just like really really gets to like let loose and just like pay homage to something in the best and dumbest way imaginable you won't ever grow up you won't make it past six because his two foot tall demonic doll will make you his bitch you won't ever grow up he'll toy with you till he die to prove that evil comes in every size and then like a point after that you can hear the kid saying mommy mommy my doll's alive like what the fuck is any of this man like this shit should not work but it does because ice on kills is just that goddamn fucking talented um you know you go into a song hip to be scared where the bridge of it like or the rather the part before the breakdown literally is like a reenactment of the scene out of american psycho where uh patrick bateman kills paul and the music in the background of it is like so inspired by the actual songs playing at the moment of that scene um hip to be square by huey lewis in the news i'm gonna check that real quick just to make sure i'm uh yeah huey lewis in the news and it's just like th th again like some really really dumb shit that ends up working because when a band like Ice Nine Kills is the one taking creative like charge of this, there's no way that it doesn't work. Um, Worst Vacation, which is about uh, Hostel, a, a, a part of that where you can hear a character that resembles Natalia from the film give her line from the film, and that make you my bitch. And just the way that this band is able to uh, just, you know, it, it's like they are pulling elements out like physically pulling elements from these movies and just running them through some kind of software and you end up getting like these kinds of theatrics it's just like really really strange really weird and like there's something just like infectious about what's happening here because you're you're listening to a bunch of people clearly having fun and in turn 
that makes me have fun. There is never a dull moment that I experience listening to Welcome to Harwood. There's never a, a, a moment where I feel bored with anything. None of these songs are skippable. You know, I could say Take Your Pick, which features Corpse Grinder from Cannibal Corpse, is my least favorite song on the record, but at the same time, I, I still think it's a perfect song. I still would pick it over a large portion of what I listen to from other artists this year. Um, I, I know people were, or some people rather were like maybe kind of talking badly about Rainy Day. Rainy Day fucks, dude. Rainy Day is so good. It's not heavy, but like it's just like so catchy. I, I love the like the Resident Evil nods throughout it and the music video for that matter. Um, this just feels like a band that just said, fuck it, we're gonna do what we want to do. If nobody likes it, that's fine. Like, and in turn, that makes me feel the same way. Like, I love this record. I love Ice Nine Kills. If you don't, you know, you can rock how you want to rock, big dog, but like, I, I think this is the greatest record of the year. I think Ice Nine Kills is one of the best bands ever. I, just everything about this. And I, I, I knew after I heard it the first time that it was number one. Um, I listened to it more throughout that weekend. I went back to uh, Eternal Blue and Fever just to make sure that was how I really felt. But, you know, from that initial listen, I knew. And when I was talking about this record on the review the week after, I was really, really trying to conceal the extent to which I really enjoyed this album. Because, again, I kind of knew already beforehand that it was number one. Um, so one of the things I said on there was, and maybe I'm getting this wrong because I can't exactly remember right now. Um, so when I was, uh, like 10 years old, City of Evil by Avenged Sevenfold was the album I listened to and made my mind up that music was something I wanted to like not pursue in life, but I wanted to have something to do with music for a living and a livelihood and the thing that I leave my mark on this world on. I wanted it, I wanted it to be through music because of the effect that City of Evil had on me. If I was 10 years old right now, I know that Welcome to Harwood, The Silver Scream 2 would be the record that has that same effect on me. This is the record that if I was, you know, young right now, I would hear and think I want to be a part of this for the rest of my life. I want to have something to do with this because this kind of medium is what completes me, it's what fulfills me. And there is no album from this year that, you know, speaks to why I love music more than Welcome to Harwood. And that's it. That's it for the series. That's it for the first year of Ulterior, guys. Um, I don't, I don't want to take the time right now to, like, thank people or... or try and give some kind of like a, a sentimental speech i'll do all that later or never do it i you know right now i'm like pretty fucking tired and spent and <sighs> it's done it's really finished at least until the new year but you know like the the whole year i was preparing for the songs list and the record list and then now it's done and then like as soon as i press play on Whatever is going to be the first thing I listen to for the new year, it's probably going to be the Siamese record. You know, the 2022 race begins, and even if I wanted to give some kind of a speech right now, I'm not in the right frame of mind to gather my thoughts, so maybe it'll happen later on, maybe it won't, I don't know, but um, yeah, uh, 
I'm going to go ahead and sign off on this. I want to say thank you so much to anybody who listened to any part of what I've been doing this year, whether it be any of the weekly episodes, whether it be a bonus chapter or any bit of the songs list or any bit of the records list. If you've looked at a TikTok of mine, I appreciate that as well. If you've interacted with what I've done on social media, like you've retweeted something, you've liked something on Instagram, you shared it on your story. Like I see all that. I don't want any of you to think that I don't like see it. I, I see it. I know who supports me. I am eternally grateful for all of you because you know, you're contributing to the start of something that I really, really want to take off. And I really, really want to be a big thing and be successful and be kind of like my calling in life. Um, I can hear my cats meowing in the next room. So I'm going to go feed them and just hang out with them and, you know, live, I guess. <sighs> Thank you for listening. I really, really hope you enjoyed everything I've done this year. And as always, for better or worse, that was a loud noise. Oh, more loud noises. Uh, let's make a scene. All right. Take care, guys. Happy holidays. I love y'all.